Malawilile, Talo Falaba, Gelrana, and Fakalo Flayatu. I'm Benji Timu, and welcome to the Panthers Podcast. Each episode, we tell an all with those involved in creating the Panthers TV series, their inspiration, the Polynesian Panther Party, and how the movement affects our lives now. On this episode of the Panthers Podcast, join our Talanoa with director Mario Faumui plus actor Hans Favai Jackson, who embraced the role of Captain Fred Schmidt. Welcome to another episode of the Panthers TV series podcast. We have Mario Faumui, who is the co-director of both episode five and six. And we also have Hans Jackson, who plays Fred Smith in the Panthers TV series. Um, so, yeah, how are you guys this morning? I'm good. Yo, thanks for having us this morning. Yeah, yeah I'm feeling good as well. Thanks, Benji. Lovely to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you too. You know, um, I sort of know you guys. Not not well enough to say that, you know, we're friends, but I know you guys. So, you know, it's been months since the series has been released on TVNZ. And so, you know, things has kind of settled since then. I mean, I know when it first came out, it sort of followed the apology. And, you know, it was the sort of talks in every single corner of Tamaki or basically New Zealand, eh? especially in our Pacific community. You know, the good thing about the series is that it brought up a lot of conversations surrounding the things that happened in the 70s and also things that happened in the 80s. Also, you know, myself, for example, I'm not sure if you guys sort of think the same, but it made me think about the sort of other forms of racism that we experience in now time now, heading into the 21st century. It's not so much all out there like it used to be in the 70s, but it's in different ways now. And so this is sort of a really good opportunity to um, have that discourse around racism and, you know, what is racism and, you know, what were the dawn raids and why are we here? Why are there so many Pacific Islanders in Auckland? You know, these are the questions that I used to ask myself as a kid. And I guess, you know, before we sort of delve into episode six, I want to talk to you, Myra, first, because I know that, you know, you've been directing for a long time now. And so, like, this gig here is so massive and huge, such a big opportunity. And so, would you mind sort of talking us through that journey of how you got this role as being a co-director that basically had you directing one of the most compelling episodes of the miniseries? Yeah, I've been directing for a long time, um, say about 10 years now. Um, and that's been creating more factual stuff. My directing journey started for a youth program called Fresh TV. So that was like a little bit of interviews with people as well as like writing little short comedy skits for the show. But I haven't been directing scripted drama for that long. It's only been one year. My first scripted drama was Tenesa, which was a thriller that I got thrown into in the deep end uh, but everything has its timing I guess like um, it wasn't until I stood in that drama space and I didn't realize how different it was from making just like normal um, fast turnaround television it was almost like for myself learning a new language in television and so Tenesa happened um, and um, I had heard talks about the new series during that time 
which was the Polynesian Panthers. One of my close friends and colleagues, um, Crystal Vaenga, had been picked up to be an associate producer on the show. And during that time, I think they were, you know, fishing out for directors for the show. I think at the same time as part of their kopapa for Four Nights in Tevake was looking at talent and skill development for emerging directors as as well as having, you know, um, established directors on the show. They really wanted to make space for new voices that are coming through in the industry because there's not really many Pacific directors in terms of the scripted drama space. And so I had heard about that. Um, Crystal reached out to me and see if I was interested in applying. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I don't think I'm ready. That sounds like a massive story. It sounds epic. The budget is mean. I don't want to come on and mess it up. So <laughs> I was like, if you guys need like a cleaner or something to come and sweep the stage, I'll be keen just to kind because I'm still kind of, you know, um, I wasn't really comfortable because I didn't feel like I was experienced enough. But, you know, as God had it, um, I ended up, you know, being snatched up for the role to work along Chris Graham as a co-director. And it was it was just really God's plan, really. Like, it's full circle for me in a way where, let me take you back to like high school. Um, back in high school, I did a speech. Um, that was the only thing that I passed in English, really, was speeches. And I did a speech on the Dawn Raids. Like um, I had a youth leader who kind of shared with me experiences um, that was happening in the 70s. And I didn't know that because that's not stuff that we learned in high school where I'm from, in Mount Ross School. And so for me, that's when I first got to learn about the Dawn Raids and the random checks that had happened back um, in the days. And so back then it was only kind of like scratching the surface in terms of my understanding of what had happened during that time and it wasn't until jumping onto panthers and learning about it it was just really deep and still really trying to comprehend like that mess that brown people had to go through during those times so yeah for me very honored and lucky and grateful to be able to be a part of this history and share the story what about you, Hans? How much how much of the story did you know before sort of heading into the the shoot? For me, it was more of a, a growing up. It was more like a war story, kind of like just mm-hmm. another story that um, just passed around through my parents or brothers and sisters that just kind of randomly pops up as a subject. Or oh yeah, Dawn Raids happened here, but I didn't really hone into it and feel the weight of what had happened back then until um, I started at Pipa, which was 2013. And uh, with all the Pacific studies that we had done there, yeah, when we had really honed into so that as one of the subjects, that's when the way started. Um, really, I, st- I started feeling it, and then I started just same thing, questioning myself, like, damn, like, um, is, is, that, is that right? Like, did our people go through that? And, and then mm. how, how heavy the stories were, how the experience in itself. And then not only that, but to also realize that um, just how much of my family were also affected from that too, so... From then on, it just, you know, just, um, the stories for me just started building up. Dawn Raids became a bigger, bigger kind of story for me. And then once I got the opportunity to play Freight for Panthers TV, then, yeah, just like Mario, full circle, man. So, um, blessed. And it was an awesome opportunity. So, your character, Fred, he's, um, you know, one of the OG members. And unfortunately, you know, he wasn't here to see his character on the screen, like many others, like Milani and, and Will, for example, and Alec. Now, in the series, you're seen as this really aggressive Panthers member, eh? Like, um, who sort of leans more into the confrontation, right? And, yeah, yeah. 
but he's balanced out by sort of Milani's approach and I, I suppose everybody else's approach, which is, you know, we do it non-violently. Yeah. Maybe talk us through the development of Fred's character and, you know, was he actually as aggressive as you portrayed him? So I'll, maybe I'll get um, both of you to answer that question because, you know, Mario, I know you were sort of involved with assisting Fred or, you know, Hans here with his character. So, you know, was he... So the question is, you know, talk us through the development of your character. Um, but also, was he actually as aggressive as you sort of approached him to be? Uh, before we had started filming, um, I had been set up with a meeting to meet up with Fred's wife and brother. Yeah. So that was a cool experience to kind of because I had no idea who Fred was, and I really needed someone who knew him inside out to kind of just ask questions, you know, just who he was as a person. Um, and that was an awesome experience. I think I spent like three hours at their house that day. But when they were kind of explaining it, he just he just sounded like. Um, like my older cousin, like, you know, just another big older cousin, big dude, big unit. Um, and they were saying that he was really close with Kong, the character Kong. So Fred and Kong were really close. They were really tight. I think their dads were best friends as well. So they they were raised up together as pretty much brothers, which was awesome for me because it gave me something to feel off with the other characters in the, in the show. So me and Kong, I guess um, we didn't really get to play with uh, Kong and Fred's relationship uh, too much. And Kong was one of the closest friends. And, um, yeah, but yeah, he was a big unit. I, I didn't get much from the wife and the brother that he was an aggressive person. He was just, you know, just a big bear, pretty much like a big bear. But mm. just for, you know, for the purposes of TV and all that, um, I just tried to give it a bit more spice and give him a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Just something to work towards and kind of, yeah, to aim towards. So. And it was, some, it was nice uh, juxtapose from some of the other characters that were yeah. more intellectual and kind of a bit softer. Passionate. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passionate. Talk us through that, Mario. What was your role in that? Um, there were, uh, like, uh, my scenes with, um, you know, Hans as Fred were kind of really minor. Um, mm. The scene that I can think of was really um, <laughs> uh, the telephone booth scene where, um, <laughs> where Fred is kind of like... Um, what's the word kind of a distraction from the cops from where yeah. the reverse dawn raids were happening smashing and stuff yeah that, yeah that with the bottle uh, <laughs> mashing and hans trying to put on his um his caucasian <laughs> his caucasian room you wear a white boys <laughs> oh man I, I want to talk about the police you know in in, in the whole dawn raid scene because you know Obviously, there's a there's a sort of like a breaking point as sort of Muldoon authorizes the dawn raids on our people, um, you know, specifically Pacific migrants. And sort of after 50 years, it's interesting to see a lot of these stories come to light because of the series and obviously because of the apology as well. And I know, you know, I can count on my hands how many stories I've heard personally of people and their stories as well. You know, in the opener scene, which is probably the one that hits everybody the most, right? That opening scene when you have the, the grandma who's forced to hide in the chest fridge. What was that scene like to shoot? What was it like to be in that environment as well? Because it's not only for television, it's actually reliving a lot of the traumas that we experienced as well. So, yeah, talk us through that scene, Mario. Yeah, um, I still kind of remember the first time I read the script. I, I literally like bored my eyes out. Um, definitely on the on the first read, 
probably every time I read that scene, I, I bawled my eyes out because you're kind of just um, taken back a little bit, like, you know, in terms of the extremes of what these families had to do. And it's funny because some people are still like, did that actually really happen in life? They really put someone in the fridge. I was like, yeah, there was actually <laughs> people were just hiding everywhere and anywhere in the house that they could find, really. And so I guess filming that, um, there's a way to kind of, you know, serve the honesty of it um, and just really trying to focus on the, the energy of the family other than the energy of the, the outside, I guess. Um, my approach to that was um, trying to have the audience really get a feel from the, from the inside of the family's perspective. And so what I loved about that was, you know, the family was Samoan. And sometimes it's hard to kind of, you know, translate that in English. And so my thing was, you know, communicating in the language, in Samoan language, because I just feel like there's certain stuff that we can translate that's deeper. And so, yeah, everyone was very um, relaxed and open. And like the cast was just amazing. Like the Siapo who played Nana, just, she just really went for it, really. Um, like there's a script that's there, but like, you know, everyone just kind of like almost freestyled like um, their dialogue during that time. And there's that beautiful glimmer of what the future holds in terms of Waina, who was the the granddaughter um, who kind of, you know, gets the passports, who finds the passports um, and stands up against the the policemen who were raiding the house during that time. Like that was such a beautiful snapshot of kind of the world that we're living in now in terms of like your Aenganga Filis, your Benji Timus in terms of those who have carried on that legacy in their blood. But yeah, it's funny you talk about like, you know, the stories that you've heard because I felt like that scene in particular has kind of unpacked a lot of conversations between me and my family. I didn't know until my parents got to see that scene, how close the dawn raids affected our family. Like I just found out after production that I had a first cousin who was kind of, um, a dawn raid baby at that time and so the beautiful thing is the conversations that have happened between families in terms of unpacking trauma um i don't know if it's for all brown families but you know i feel like some of our parents have done you know a great job to try to to try and protect us from certain traumas like that and so we're at a time now where it's like you know we're really unpacking that even more and it's such a like how i mean you know given anything that sort of happened 50 years ago it's so long ago the current conversations that we're having you know because you know the prime minister you know did the famous apology which has only actually happened i think twice in new zealand history right so it's definitely it holds huge weight in the sort of world of politics as well. Have you guys personally seen a shift in the consciousness of our kids and also our makos as well in terms of how we view racism now? Because, for example, you know, I have heard so many stories from my elders dismiss racism like it's something that was our fault, for example. I'm not sure if you guys experienced that, where... You know, there's a there's a classic scene in, in the first episode or the second one where Will's father insists that Will shut his mouth because we're in the governor general's office. And despite the disrespect that he's clearly showing to the father, you know, we're still told to put our heads down and to keep moving forward and just to work hard so we can get a good job. And, to, you know, and so 
have you guys seen a sort of a shift in consciousness across many of our younger people and our older people? Absolutely. I, I would definitely say, like, even for myself as well, um, yeah. like, I totally understand that relationship between Will and his father in terms of, you know, our parents sort of having that, you know, respect for white authority. Do you know what I mean? And so when we're raised in that sort of environment, we think that everything authority says is Bible. And so when all those sort of um, racist acts or, you know, certain microaggressions, they were all just kind of dusted off because we didn't really, you know, click on where I feel like nowadays, you know, there's this massive awareness and wokeness that's going on especially in the digital era, which is so more accessible for us to learn and understand more about those sort of um, acts where now we're kind of more awake and in tune when we come across certain situations like that. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Increasing consciousness. Uh, right? What about you, um, Hans? Has the conversations changed amongst the boys, for example? You know, we used to talk about parties and now we're talking about racism. I mean, is that something you've seen as well? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's massive, though. It's like, um, well, just like Mario said, yeah, um, in the younger days, it was just something, I guess, we just brushed off and we're just told to um, stand in line, wait, all that stuff. And then that's, I guess that was the mentality that our parents were kind of tattooed into, into their brains and we were raised in that. But then, you know, yeah, last, last, I guess, what, decade or so, the conversations have changed. Everyone's aware now. More questions are popping up. People aren't just saying, yeah, cool. But people are realizing the power they have to ask a question that it's and it's okay to ask these questions there. Eh? But mm. yeah, I guess I guess Mario kinda covered it all. And you know. I wanna I wanna um delve into the scenes of the protest. Um especially the tip top factory one. You know, that was a that was an interesting one because um for me personally it really contextualized the situation. Um, you know, the sort of scene saw Fred amongst other Panther members, you know, Russian to assist with the raids that were happening inside the factory. Um, and, you know, this was following a sort of a welcoming from the government for Pacific migrants to come into the country to fill in the, you know, the cheap labor gap. And then all of a sudden, you know, they want us to go home, essentially. I want you guys to talk us through that scene because it seems like there's so much going on. You know, you've got guys going in front of the van. You've got people trying to, you know, you had other cops coming in to the scene. You had, you know, Hones, Ngatamato uh, come in and assist in the Panthers. You know, that was such a, such an amazing scene, you know, regardless if it happened or not. I think it really sort of epitomizes what the activism was like in that time and how um, radical it sort of looked. So, yeah, talk us through that scene a bit, um, Maria. Were you sort of involved? Yeah, I was um, sort of the backseat for that one, and my co-director kind of led that one. Um, but <laughs> I still remember that day. There was a lot of, you know, choreography, and that's kind of um, really the the energy that we wanted written in the script, I guess. It's that whole thing in terms of, like, um, authority, really, um, you know, that generation of the Panthers really kind of were um, the ones to kind of break that sort of respect for authority, um, to really try and save our people, really, that were getting taken away. So I believe that, yeah, the Tip Top Factory was kind of one of the, the true stories that um, really mm. happened. But yeah, I think my favorite moment is when everyone lines up at the gate, forming that human wall to try and, you know, stop the cops from taking yeah. them away. But just such a powerful moment at the time because, you you know, you had Hone Harawera and his peeps, like, you know, they've got a fight of their own. 
mm. in terms of um, land protection. But then for them to kind of come and join forces with the Panthers to, to help them out, like there was just this beautiful collaboration in terms of um, fighting uh, the power. Because um, some, really. some of the police extras, they were um, doing a really good job. <laughs> <at the end. laughs> and I think one of them yelled out, he yelled out to me and he just he, he was right there in my face acting of course you know all that stuff but okay. it was just having him there in my face and then you're just yelling at me saying you're an infection go back to your island I was like oh, oh, oh. Well, I don't know if it's Hans getting riled up or if it's Fred <laughs> but um, that, ex- yeah, that experience that day it was heavy man and um, it, it was mean because like Mario said it was unity also with the Ngatamato and then the Panthers and then how we all stood up in that line and then we started that karanga. Ah, oh, that was ah, it was goosebumps, man. So yeah, yeah. that was the that was I love that scene. That was an awesome scene. Who yeah. were you sort of channeling um, as a person? Because you know, I can imagine as an actor, you sort of tune into an alter ego, I suppose. Bro, Batman, bro. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go do some justice. <laughs> Kaiser as well, who plays Vince, and that like he did his his own stunts. He he's the one that hangs onto the wagon in the front. I wow. think, like, you know, just moments like that was pretty dope. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, so it looked pretty it. intense, especially you know when cops come in and you know beat him up and stuff. I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> definitely not covering that bit. Yeah, that was definitely a cool scene because it sort of reminds me of you know our elders who were still working in the factories. I mean, can you imagine that happening today? Oh, I mean you definitely wouldn't have only 20 people you'd have hundreds of people rally down and so you can imagine how small of the community was at, at that time in the 70s you know there weren't many pacific island people at that time especially who were willing to go out of their way to protect their own people as well and i can imagine at that time as well you'd you'd have older people who sort of oppose the Panthers' ideologies, right? And that's quite clear in the relationship between Will and his father and his mother as well. You know, I want to explore the dynamics between the Panther members in in the film. You know, Will's become this person that um, a lot of the members have sort of had to reconcile with due to his other conflicts, right? With Ice, for example. And Hans, you sort of portray this character. That made sense to me, right? Because I'm also a person that likes to be straight up when something is a right to me, eh? And now my question, but it probably won't be answered here. My question is, why wasn't there a fist fight between the two characters before the reconciliation? Because <laughs> that's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, so why wasn't there a fight? Oh, foof, stop me. I think I got I to step him out in episode two. Ah, oh, right, right, right. Because of the, is this the thing with Kong, eh, right? And then Kong, yeah, and then I want to stay here and then I... Yeah, yeah, freak yeah, yeah. even more mad of the Kong situation. Uh, that, that would have been cool because I know that a lot of the scenes were dramatized as well. So, you know, it would have been cool to see that. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, um, yeah, that would have been cool. Um, what were the challenges on set for both of you guys? Were there any challenges? I asked the others. <laughs> I mean, what did they I say? I don't think they said that there were any because it was so, it looked like it was so easy to be with everybody. And if there was a challenge, you know, it was like a, it was a challenge for everybody as opposed to a challenge for yourself, because that's how we do it in a village, right? But yeah, if you guys had any challenges, what were they? Um, no, I didn't have any challenges. I enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Yeah, it was quite an easy process. Like, I love saying it. It's like it's such a different vibe working with, like, you know, a brown casting crew because, like, everyone's just there to serve each other and serve the story, really. There's not much um, 
room for everyone to come in with egos or anything. Like every, everyone oh. was just there for the same goal. Yeah. Um, so it was such a beautiful time. Small stuff like family vibes. Eh? I, I'm always comparing different sets like that I go to, and um, this was the big one that stood out for me was when we we filmed Savage and we were having lunch, um, and I went for seconds. I got called out for seconds. <laughs> I got called out for seconds, and I was embarrassed, bro. I was embarrassed. Oh. I, was so I was so ma. And then um, Panthers. I walk off and I, and I, joke, I joke around with the catering. I go, oh, bro, any seconds? And, nah, Jace. and he pulls out containers and he fills the containers for me. And he goes, yeah, take it home. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, I'm emotional. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but it's, it's small stuff like that, bro. It, it, and it, it goes a long way, man. And yeah, that's what made Panthers the yeah. best. What other differences were there, uh, Mario, compared to sort of other shoots that you've been in? And, and this um, one. Obviously, you know, all brown cast. All right. And crew. Yeah, it just flows different. Like really, like for me, like uh, there's there's something special with connecting, um, especially was for me personally, Samoans. It's just that opportunity to use the language on set because there's just certain things that we have in our language yeah. that doesn't hold weight compared to like you know speaking True. in English. I mean, all right. So Mario, what's the what's the next project from here? Or what are you working on currently? What am I working on at the moment? We've got some cool projects coming up um, under Tiki Lounge Projects, mm -hmm. um, making some like little kids show and also um, so, sort of the second part of the um, anthology series of Tenesa um, that's coming up. Um, I've also been working on a cabaret show for my dance company, Fina Fatale. Um, so just looking at redeveloping that for stage. Um, so it's a bit of everything, really. You're kind of just in lockdown, like planting seeds, mm. um, with, like uncertainty of like what's going to happen in the next couple of months. So um, it's like really the project what is the wish list. Um, I'm currently down here in Wellington, doing, getting ready to um, film for Docs, um, one of Noah's films. Noah's was one of the producers for, um, for Panthers as well. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, be, we'll be down here for the next seven or so weeks. And then, um, yeah, other than that, just small stuff. A bit of a muser as well, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get back into my, my music. I want to get back into doing small gigs at pubs and stuff, just, you know, just weekend stuff. Um, trying to write. I'm trying to write. It's bloody hard. <laughs> Is this the same project that D is also starting at as well? Yeah, just... too. yeah, yeah. They're all back oh, at the hotel waiting for their negative results. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, too funny. Oh, well, um, that's a wrap for this episode. And I just want to say thank you so much to you guys for coming on board and, you know, giving us an insight into um, the episodes, you know, especially the most compelling one, in my opinion, that last one with the Dawn Raids. Um, and it's cool to see, you know, people in my generation really killing it as well. So, yeah, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you both, Mario Falmui, co-director of episode five and six, and also you, Hans Jackson, who plays Fred Smith, one of the OG Panther members. So, Fapsai Tere Lava, and thank you guys so much. Fapsai Lava Benji, thank you. Hello, Benji. And thank you for tuning into the Panthers podcast. Make sure you check out our other episodes. I'm your host, Benji Timu. Power to the people.